Good evening. We're going to be in 2 Samuel chapter 7 this evening. Now, it's been a few weeks, and we've had Thanksgiving in the meantime, and so you've had your turkey coma, I'm sure. Um, So where we left off, if you remember, um, chapter 6, we had um, the Ark of the Covenant was brought to Jerusalem. The uh, incident with Uzzah, who um, reached over to grab the Ark as the ox stumbled, And he was struck uh, dead by the Lord. And largely due to David's disobedience and how he um, prepared the transportation of the ark. He put it on a cart rather than, uh, you know, the the modern day pickup truck. uh, Put it on a cart rather than doing it like the Lord had commanded uh, the ark to be moved. But when we get to chapter 7, the ark is in Jerusalem. Uh, the, known as the city of David. Um, David is in his dwelling place that was built by the, um, in chapter 5, I think we learned the king of Tyre uh, built this house of, uh, made from uh, what was it made from? Cypress wood? I think so. Okay, so let's pick up. Uh, We're going to kind of break this up into three sections. We're going to start with kind of at the beginning, David's desire to glorify God. We'll look at that. Uh, We'll look at God's response kind of in the middle here. And part of that response, we get what's called the Davidic covenant. And so the how, you know, the reason, we're going to kind of talk about the reason why that's important to us and what is the Davidic covenant Um, And then we're going to close out with David's response to God. Um, So let's start in uh, verse 1. Now it came to pass when the king was dwelling in the house, in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies all around, that the king said to Nathan, the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar. There it is. Uh, But... The ark of God dwells inside tent curtains. Then Nathan said to the king, Go do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. So we see here right away, I kind of love this picture. If you've ever been with, you know, a brother or sister in the Lord, and you're just dwelling on what God has done for you, how great God is. And David is moved by how great God has been to him, that his desire is to glorify God and build him a temple and put the Ark of the Covenant in the temple. And two brothers here talking, hanging out together. I was thinking, was there a time where Saul and Samuel were just hanging around, kicking it, talking about the things of the Lord? I can't remember that. But David's here with the prophet Nathan, and they're just kicking it, talking about the things of the Lord. And Nathan's response, although we will learn that he jumped the gun a little bit here, (laughs) you could hardly blame him. I mean, if you've been in this position, um, you know, Nathan, I think the spiritual leader, the prophet, um, he's here giving guidance to David. But you could hardly blame the guy because David's desire, his heart is to glorify God. And so Nathan's immediate response is, 
Go for it. That's incredible, right? It's like if someone comes up to you and says, man, the Lord has put it on my heart to go on a missions trip, or the Lord has put it on my heart to do this or that for him. And, and you're like, yeah, that's, that's incredible. Go do that. And uh, so you can hardly blame Nathan, but we will learn that Nathan did jump the gun, right? And he should have sought the Lord in this. Um, so let's go, go ahead. We're going to read uh, God's response in verses 4 through 7. But it happened that night that the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, Would you build a house for me to dwell in? For I have not dwelled in a house since the time that I brought the children of Israel up from Egypt, even to this day, but have moved about in a tent and in a tabernacle. Wherever I have moved about with all the children of Israel, have I ever spoken a word to anyone from the tribes of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people, Israel, saying, why have you not built me a house of cedar? And so God responds, or he gives a message to Nathan and says, I have not commanded this to anyone. And um, so there's an obvious response here of no. And we learn later on in David's life, um, we, we learn the reason why. I don't think David knows the reason why here exactly, but we, he does learn about it in uh, 1 Chronicles 28.3. Uh, but God said to me, this is David speaking, you shall not build a house for my name because you have been a man of war and have shed blood. Um, I don't think God gave him that response here through the prophet Nathan because I don't know if David was ready for that because his heart was to glorify God and I don't know if he wanted you know, to smack him down right here saying he's a, you know, a man of blood and he's not going to do that. Um, but he did it more gently and I think he did it in a way um, that David could understand that he was being chastised for this, but gently, right? He wasn't being disciplined because I think God saw his heart in, in the issue. I, you know, when we look at these first few verses, there's a couple of perspectives. I think you can take a look at David's perspective here, um, which is pretty incredible, right? You have, you know, I was thinking about this the other day. I have this iPhone, it only does 4G. And I was, the new iPhones, they have 5G, you know, you can have really fast data on it. And I think a couple of months ago, I was telling Lori, man, it'd be great if I got a new iPhone for Christmas. And uh, the reality is that that's not going to work out because we don't have the money for it. So, you know, God says no, that's okay. He hasn't provided the money for it. I shed a few tears, but I got over it. It's okay. It's not that big of a deal. But when God says no to David here, it's more than just like an iPhone or something he wants. This is something that, God, that David wants to do to glorify God. And so when we put this into our lives, like we, when we desire to glorify God with a gift we have, you know, maybe it's a gift of teaching or a gift of hospitality, and you go out there and you put yourself out there and you want to serve him in this way, and God says no, or a ministry leader says no, you're not going to do that. How do we respond to that, right? And we're going to see how David responds to this answer here. Um, but the, the way we respond really reveals our heart. Because if the, if the response is, um, 
what, you know, why aren't you using my gifts, right? Because the response is focused on me and not on glorifying God. Then we need to be careful with that. We need to check our heart. Maybe we got a little Saul in us, right? And not, not the heart of David that is in it to glorify God. Um, I found this quote from F.B. Myers, and it says, If you cannot have what you hoped, do not sit down in despair and allow the energies of your life to run to waste, but arise and gird yourself to help others to achieve. If you may not build, you may gather materials for him that shall. And in the life of David, we know that he didn't build the temple, Um, His son did, Solomon, but he did gather the supplies. He did equip his son with the supplies to build the temple. He didn't get his name on the temple, and I don't think David wanted his name on the temple, right? The temple of David, little letters, built for God, right? Um, (laughs) I don't think David wanted that, but he wanted to glorify God, and he didn't get to build the temple, but he did go into a supporting role for his son, and behind the scenes, help his son build the temple, right? And um, I think at times God could do that in our lives. In, in the ministry we have before the Lord, sometimes we're up front and people see what we do. And sometimes we're in the back and someone else gets the credit, right? And we're just supporting. But how is our heart towards that? Do we get bitter, right? That's a dangerous place to be, right? And we can see... We'll see at the end of the teaching, at the end of chapter 7, uh, David's response to this is thanksgiving to God, just because he got an answer from the Lord, you know, uh, which is pretty incredible. So there's also the other perspective of Nathan, right? And Nathan was in the kind of an interesting place here because he's, you know, the spokesman for God. And right away in verse 3, he says, Go do what is in your heart, for the Lord is with you, right? So he proclaims on behalf of the Lord to go ahead and do it, build the temple. And uh, speaking for God, and, and obviously a mistake here, this was not God's will for David to build the temple, even though he said that. And um, as, a, as a leader, as someone who is speaking for maybe a ministry oversight or something like that, we have to be careful to seek the Lord as people come to us and say, hey, I want to do this or I want to do that. We need to seek the Lord and ask for his guidance. That's what Nathan should have done. Nathan should have said, wow, that's incredible that you want to do that. Let's pray on it. Let's see what the Lord has to say. And um, so he just jumped the gun, and that's easy to do because, like I said, um, when you're hanging out with a brother or a sister in Christ and they want to do something before the Lord, you just want to get excited and go for it, right? So I can understand Nathan's position here. Um, So we're going to get into the Davidic covenant. And what I wanted to do is look at other biblical covenants. We're going to do just a quick survey on a timeline. And I don't, well, you could see the titles at a minimum, right? And so uh, we're going to do a quick survey. And I color coded this. So you'll see everything in brown is for for everyone, right? For not just for the nation of Israel, but for the for the Greeks, the Gentiles, the whole world, right? And everything in green is for the nation of Israel. Um, obviously, there's blessings that extend beyond the nation of Israel, um, and then there's one dark green that you'll see: the Mosaic Covenant, which is a conditional covenant. So I just 
kind of picked a different color for that. Uh, but let's start kind of the Adamic covenant. The, <laughs> it's hard to say, but um, the covenant given to Adam. Um, and we can find this obviously in Genesis 1 through 3. It deals with our position in relation to creation, how we're supposed to rule over it. Um, it also deals with sin, that God deals with sin and the results of sin, right? The results, you know, like uh, uh, labor pain for women and that the men will toil in the fields, right? And so it deals with these things. Um, probably most importantly for us in the, this covenant is in, found in Genesis 3.15, uh, where it says, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, speaking to uh, the serpent here or the devil, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. So we get the first messianic prophecy in the Bible as part of this covenant to the whole world that, uh, that Jesus Christ, ultimately, right, but the Messiah, the Christ, um, will uh, eventually take his authority by bruising the head of Satan, right? And so we get that right here in Genesis as part of this covenant, now, the next covenant we see in the Bible is the Noahic covenant. And this one is obviously, as a sign, was given the rainbow, uh, which simply put that God will not, and we'll just read it here, Genesis 9.13, I set my rainbow in the cloud, and it shall be for a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Um, and this covenant is so that God will not flood the earth again, Right? And then the next one we find in Genesis 12 through 22 is the Abrahamic covenant. Uh, this covenant is given, obviously, to Abraham, and it establishes um, that Abraham's name will be great. And you guys know that Abraham's name is great amongst, obviously, Christianity, amongst the Jews, and amongst the Muslims, right? And they all revere Abraham as a great name that his descendants will be numerous, that he'll be a, a father of a multitude of nations, uh, that it establishes the ge geographic boundaries of Israel, and it proclaims a blessing on those. Um, Genesis 12, 3, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so we get that from the Abrahamic covenant. And obviously, all the families of the earth being blessed is uh, speaking of the Messiah, right? The Messiah will come through Abraham, and through him, all uh, everyone on the earth will be blessed. And so that's how that extends beyond Israel, of course, there. And then next, we get the Palestinian covenant. And this is uh, established in Deuteronomy 30. It basically states that the children of Israel will be scattered throughout the world, but they will be gathered again into Palestine, right? And some people may combine this with the Mosaic, um, but here it is in Deuteronomy 30, verses 3 through 4. The Lord your God will bring you back from captivity and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where the Lord your God has scattered you. And... Uh, verse 4, and any, if any of you are driven out to the farthest parts under heaven, from there the Lord your God will gather you, and from there he will bring you. 
And so speaking of the children of Israel being scattered throughout the world and then reestablished in uh, the territory of Palestine. Um, And then the next one we get is the Mosaic. The Mosaic is a conditional covenant. Um, We know the Mosaic by the Ten Commandments typically, but this is all 600 plus commandments, uh, half of them positive, half of them negative, meaning thou shalt do this or thou shalt not do this. And so this is the Mosaic Covenant, and it is said um, in Deuteronomy eleven twenty six through 28, Behold, I set before you today a blessing and a curse, the blessing if you obey the commands of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and a curse if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God. But turn aside from the way which I command you today to go after other gods which you have not known. And so the Mosaic Covenant is a conditional covenant. If you follow it, it's a blessing. If you don't follow it, it's a curse. Paul calls it the, uh, the, the school teacher, right, that uh, basically it identifies how we fall short of God's commandments and being obedient to God, and it helps drive us to a Savior in Jesus Christ. And then we get the Davidic Covenant, which we're going to cover And then the final covenant spoken of in Jeremiah 31 is the new covenant. Uh, We call it the New Testament or the new covenant that God has with the whole world. But first it was sent to the Jews, and Jesus was first sent to the Jews and then to the Greeks. And so in uh, Jeremiah 31, we read about the new covenant. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant, which they broke, though I was their husband to them, says the Lord. Um, Sorry, finish that. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will put their God, and they shall be my people. And so, oh, sorry, one more. No more shall shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they all shall know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. And so that's the the new covenant. And so we're going to go back into 2 Samuel and we're going to read through uh, verses 8 through 17. And at the beginning of this, we're going to see kind of a reestablishing the land covenant, and then towards the end of this section, we'll see the, um, the seed of David established on the throne forever. So let's pick up in verse 8. Now, therefore, thus shall you say to my servant David, God speaking to Nathan here, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the sheepfold, from following the sheep to be ruler over my people, over Israel. And I have been with you wherever you have gone and have cut off all of your enemies from before you and have made you a great name like the name of the great men who are on the earth. Moreover, I will appoint 
a place for my people Israel and will plant them, that they may dwell in a place of their own and move no more. Nor shall the sons of wickedness oppress them any more as previously, since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel and have caused you to rest from all your enemies. Also, the Lord tells you that he will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you now I want you guys to listen to this because all the promises here that are going to be made to David specifically are after he dies. And if David were selfish, as we're looking through this, would he even care about any of this, right? Because he's thinking, well, what's in it for me, <laughs> you know? So all these promises we're going to get from chapter 12, or verse 12 on here is going to be after he passes away. So verse 12, when your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you, who will come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. If he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the blows of the son of men. But my mercy shall not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever, according to all these words and according to this vision. So Nathan spoke to David. And so we see here, now you, you could take this a couple of ways. So I want to kind of look through a couple of these. You know, the initial response was like, well, that, isn't that Solomon, right? That's David's son, Solomon, right? So you see Solomon, yeah, he did rule on David's throne, right? Um, God's mercies never departed Solomon. So that, that would apply to him um, for sure, even though Solomon was, a, you know, he did fail quite a bit. Um, God's mercies never departed from Solomon. Um, Solomon did build God a, 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 apparently a magnificent house. I don't know. I don't have a picture of it, but apparently it was pretty magnificent. Um, but it's not a, he didn't establish an everlasting throne, right? Um, and so we really see this through Jesus Christ. And Jesus does reign and will reign on David's throne forever. Um, the Father's mercies have never departed Jesus, even when he was made sin for us, right? And men did strike him, as it says in the prophecy, but his mercies, God's mercies, never departed him. Um, Jesus is building the Father, a magnificent house, right, through the church. We are the temple of God, right? Those who are believers are the temple of God, and the church is his new house, which is eternal. Um, so although Solomon, you could say, well, he kind of met some of those, it wasn't the full fulfillment that Jesus um, did through, um, through God's Son, Jesus Christ. Now, the, from the Davidic covenant, we get the phrase, the Son of David, and so when you're reading through, you know, especially in the New Testament, you'll see it a lot. The, the book of Matthew, it's in there quite a bit. Um, the son of David, um, we see Matthew saying it when he's talking about Jesus, but also uh, when people call out to Jesus, you know, like the, I think uh, the, the, um, the two blind guys uh, on the roadside call out to Jesus for healing. They call him the son of David. And the, what, when you say this, it's 
proclaiming he is the Messiah. And they're pointing back to 2 Samuel chapter 7, where we see the seed of David, right? And so they're calling out to the son of David, the Messiah or the Christ is what they're saying. Now, we, um, the royal of authority of the house of David, if you think about it, you have the time of the kings, right? Saul, David. The line from David goes all the way to when Babylon comes in and destroys um, or, you know, conquers them and ultimately destroys the temple. Um, and so David's lineage sits on the throne, but then you have a period of about 600 years from um, Jehoiachin to Jesus Christ. Um, Isaiah, put my clicker Isaiah 11, 1 through 2, I love this picture. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. And I think about this because we have this, car, we have a carport, and right next to the carport, there's this stump. And for some reason, it always puts up shoots. And, you know, it's like, it's dead, right? It's dead. And then pff, there comes a, a shoot up, right? And, um, and so it gives us this nice visual of saying this stump, this tree, was cut down 600 years ago. Surely it's dead, right? This lineage from David is surely dead. And yet, here we see in Isaiah, the prophet tells us, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his root shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, and the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And so Isaiah gives us this prophecy, and obviously pointing forward to Jesus Christ. Um, And I kind of put this in here because it's really fascinating to me, and many of you have probably heard this before. But the prophet Jeremiah, uh, the Lord speaking through the prophet Jeremiah throws out this nearly impossible puzzle, right? And um, let me, I'll, I'll read the verse to you. Jeremiah speaking about um, Jehoiachin, the king. He says, thus says the Lord, write this man down as childless, a man who shall not prosper in the days for none of his descendants shall prosper sitting on the throne of David and ruling any more in Judah. And the reason why this is a nearly impossible puzzle is because the Messiah, the Christ, had to come through the lineage of David. The royal line goes through Jehoiachin, but God cursed the bloodline of Jehoiachin right here. Jeremiah did, the last king before the Babylonians, right? He cursed it. That. No longer anybody descending from Jehoiachin will sit on the throne of David. And so a king of the Jews could not be from the bloodline of Jehoiachin, but he had to be from the bloodline of David, which was before Jehoiachin, right? So it's a nearly impossible puzzle, but of course, the Lord knows better than we do, right? Um, You guys keep your place there and turn with me to Matthew chapter 1. And we'll see how God solves the puzzle. I'm not going to read the whole genealogy. I'm going to skip around, but 
I want you guys to see this. Now, you notice Matthew. Here we are at the beginning of the New Testament, and we see this this, uh, phrase that we're talking about, right? The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, right? And so we see the son of David given um, Matthew using that title for Jesus, referring back to 2 Samuel chapter 7. Now, we're going to look at, obviously, you're probably going to notice some names in here. Um, when we get up to David, uh, King David in verse 6, uh, you know, Jesse begot David, the king, and then we're going to get the royal line from King David, right? So we get David and Solomon, and you're going to recognize a lot of these names because they're part of the kings of Israel, or the kings of Judah, I should say, more uh, specifically. And then we'll go down um, in there to verse 11. And we'll see this guy, Josiah, begot Jeconiah. I said Jehoiachin, Jeconiah, same thing. And his brothers, about the time they were carried away to Babylon. So Jeconiah is this guy we're talking about, right? Where Where the bloodline was cursed. And then we get the descendants from Jeconiah all the way up to verse 16. And Jacob, that's not the other Jacob, but Joseph's, Joseph's father. And Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who was called the Christ. And so we see here that this genealogy is through Joseph. Joseph, who was not, Jesus wasn't a blood relation to. He was legally adopted into the home of Joseph. And so he had all the legal authority that came with Joseph of the royal line without the blood curse that was given to uh, Jeconiah, right? And so it solves the mystery. But not only that, but Mary, we learn in Luke's gospel, was a descendant of David, but her lineage does not go through Jeconiah, right? And so you can read through her lineage. It does not go through Jeconiah. Um, and so we get this uh, puzzle solved by the Lord, which in an incredible way that could really only happen through a virgin birth and an adoption by somebody that was of the royal bloodline. That's the only way to solve the puzzle from the prophecies in the old, that we get in the Old Testament. So pretty incredible. Now, um, if you remember, speaking of this kind of phrase, the son of David. And we won't turn there, but you'll remember the Pharisees, they had an issue. Well, one, they didn't believe Jesus was the Christ, right? Um, But they also had an issue with this idea that God could be man. Um, You know, one one, uh, there's, there's several accounts of this, but one is, you know, when Jesus heals the paralytic, is it, he says, like, is it more incredible that I tell this person to stand up and walk or that I forgive him of, of his sins, right? And when he forgives his sins, the Pharisees cry out blasphemy because he's putting himself in the place of God, right? So this is really where they got hung up. They can see this person. He's a man. He's not God, right? And so they're really hung up by this. And so Jesus has this conversation about the son of David. And he's talking to the Pharisees, and he says, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? 
And uh, the Pharisees say, well, he's the son of David. And so they recognize the son of David is a title for the Christ, the Messiah. They know he's going to be from the lineage of David. He's going to be a descendant from the lineage of David, according to 2 Samuel uh, chapter 7 here. So the issue wasn't the humanity of the Christ, it was the deity of the Christ that they struggled with. And what Jesus did is he pointed them back to Psalms, and a psalm written by David. And so turn with me to Psalms 110. We'll, we'll finish up 2 Samuel, so keep your place there. Psalms 110, and this is the place that Jesus points them to. So in Psalm 110, this is a Psalm of David. And when Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, he gives us the commentary that that David was in the spirit when he wrote this. And because you're going to see this, I I don't know if that meant he was like having a vision in the spirit or if he was actually in heaven witnessing this conversation. But either way, he was in the spirit. And verse one, the Lord said to my Lord, and this is perplexing to the Pharisees, or it had to be perplexing to the Pharisees, because we get this, my Lord at the end, which is David talking about his Lord, but it even says the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, Yahweh, Father God, was talking to my Lord, David speaking about his Lord. Wait a minute, what's going on here? Right? And so we see a picture of the Messiah And the Messiah is spoken about in this um, psalm. So we're going to read through this psalm. And it's the evidence that Jesus gives about David understanding that the Messiah was more than just the son of God. But he was, or sorry, he he was the son of God. He was more than just the son of David, right? He was the root of David. He was the one that called him out of the sheepfold, right, and made him king. And that's incredible, right? So the Lord said to my Lord, you can follow this. So God speaking to Jesus, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of your strength out of Zion, rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people shall be volunteers in the day of your power. In the beauty of your holiness, from the womb of the morning, you have the dew of your youth. The Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. And that's interesting because you guys know Jesus wasn't a Levite, right? But he's considered our high priest. Well, what authority does he have? He's not a Levite, right, to be a priest. And it's addressed right here. He was a priest according to the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. Sorry. The Lord is at your right hand. He shall execute kings in the day of his wrath. That Jesus will be, will be carrying out judgment right here. He shall judge among the nations. He shall fill the places with dead bodies. He shall execute the heads of many countries. He shall drink of the brook of the wayside. Therefore, he shall lift up the head. And Jesus uses this to show that the son of David is so much greater than just a man. 
He is, he is God himself. And uh, I thought that was just incredible. Now, in the last chapter, we saw in the first, first verse of the first chapter of the New Testament, the son of David mentioned. In the last chapter of the last book of the Bible, we get Jesus speaking, and he gives us this um, title. He says, Revelation 26, 16, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root. And so he adds that in, right? I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. And so he was the one that ultimately um, is giving, is calling David out, right? He is David's Lord. Um, and so he identifies that here. Now, we're going to look through David's response. So we'll go back to 2 Samuel chapter 7, uh, verse 18. And I want you, Pastor Victor mentioned this on Sunday, where God tells David through the prophet Nathan that your servant, right? And in David's response, he says the words, your servant, 10 times in this prayer. Um, and you can just see the heart of David because none of these promises given by God were an immediate glory to him. It was all glory to God. And he was just so thankful to receive a response from God. And so we're going to do the first part of it, verses 18 through 24. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord, and he said, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that you have brought me thus far? And yet this was a small thing in your sight, O Lord God. And you have also spoken of your servant's house for a great while to come. Is this the manner of man, O Lord God? Now, what more can David say to you? For you, Lord God, know your servant. For your word's sake and according to your own heart, you have done all these great things to make your servant know, him, know them. Therefore, you are great, O Lord God, for there is none like you, nor, there, nor is there any God beside you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. And who is like your people, like Israel, the one nation on the earth whom God went to redeem for himself as a people, to make for himself a name, and to do for yourself great and awesome deeds for your land. Before your people whom you redeem for yourself from Egypt, the nations and their gods. For you have made your people Israel your very own people forever. And you, Lord, have become their God. And so we see that in um, that God or that David just giving praise to God um, for giving an answer and for blessing his house uh, in the future. Now we're going to close out the chapter, but before I do, I was um, Pastor Victor was teaching in Joshua on Sunday about Caleb, you know, taking, proclaiming the uh, the word of the Lord, right, and taking claim of that. And knowing that he was promised something. And so he's going before Joshua, in this case, saying, you know the Lord said this, right? And taking claim of that. And this is how David actually finishes off uh, the chapter here. 
And I was thinking about this, and we'll uh, finish reading off the chapter, but some of the promises that God has given us, and are we confident in those promises, right? Like Caleb was with Joshua, and like David is here with these promises given to him. Um, You know, an obvious one, a big one is that, that God forgives us of sins. You know, if we confess our sin, if we humble ourselves, he will forgive us. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And um, we need to know that's a promise from God and not to dwell on those things that are in the past that we've humbled ourselves for, that we've asked for forgiveness and that we've come and confessed before the Lord and be confident in his forgiveness and his promise. Um, Another one that kind of stood out to me is just peace. You know, Pastor Victor talks about um, Fox News, right? So if you watch too much Fox News, you're not going to have a lot of peace. No, (laughs) I'm just messing with you. (laughs) But, um, you know, God promises us peace. He says, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled. And um, if we focus too much on the world, we can build up a lot of anxiety in our minds and our hearts, right? And we need to focus on the promise of God and this promise of peace and claim it, right? And say, Lord, give me peace. Give me peace in my life. Let me not dwell on these things in the world. Let me dwell on your things, your things that are good, that are for me and not against me. Um, Another one, and this one's been big in my life, I would say for a while it was my my life verse, is that he who has began a good work and you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. And uh, this one's important to me when I feel like I'm in a spiritual valley and I'm just not progressing. I'm just not getting any further with the Lord. I feel like I haven't really done much. And, And the reality is if I look back years, if I look back two years or five years or 10 years, I could see spiritual growth. But sometimes when I'm in, a, I feel like I'm in a valley for, for months and I don't feel like I'm growing at all, um, is to take hold of these promises and saying, Lord, you promise that you're going to continue to work on me. You called me out and you're going to continue to work on me and grow me. And, you know, I think we need to take a lesson from Caleb and David here at the end of this chapter in laying hold of these promises and live them out in our lives, Right. So let's finish up uh, the chapter, verse 25, and we'll go all the way to the end. Now, O Lord God, the word which you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house, establish it forever and do as you have said. So let your name be magnified forever, saying, the Lord of hosts is the God over Israel, and let the house of your servant David be established before you. For you, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, have revealed this to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. Therefore, your servant has found it in his heart to pray this prayer to you. And now, O Lord God, you are God, and your words are true, and you have promised this goodness to your servant. Now, therefore, let it please you to bless the house of your servant, that it may continue before you forever. For you, O Lord God, have spoken it, and with your blessing, let the house of your servant be blessed forever. 
incredible thanksgiving to God, especially after being somewhat rebuked for his desire to build a temple, and he returns with thanksgiving. So that's it for tonight. Do you guys have any questions, thoughts? We get to do this on Wednesday night. No matter if you don't get the answer that you wanted, or like David, the blessings come when he's gone. He, but yeah. his, like he said, his heart was right. That's when the Lord will really just bless you even more than you were even thinking of. Because you have his heart. You're concerned about him and his glory. And if we can ever do that well, and we're growing in that, that once again, it's not about us. It's about him. And when, he, when your heart is set on that, you're going to be blessed abundantly through that. And that, that's the key. That is the key. And um, if you guys couldn't hear everything Pastor Victor said, it's just your heart being focused on the glory of God is the key. And um, it makes everything a lot easier in life. You know, when, when we're told no... Um, if our heart's on the glory of God, we can say, God's got it under control. He's going to use me in a different way, right? And as long as I can glorify God, that's going to be incredible. And But, it, you know, those responses, I was thinking about this, do reveal things in our hearts sometimes, <laughs> which is good too. You know, it's God uses those things, those situations to reveal things in our heart that he wants to bring out. Um, and so that we can give them over to God, right? But, yeah, that's definitely the focus. You know, we need to live a life that is dedicated to glorifying God. And, um, yeah, we can learn a lot from David. Not always. You know, we're going we're gonna to keep going in 2 Samuel, and we're going we're gonna to learn some things not to do. But uh, in this case, it's a, it's a good story. So, all right, let's pray. Dear Holy Father, thank you again for your word. Thank you again for for loving us and um, just desiring to have a relationship with us. I'm just struck by how puny we are compared to you and your creation and what you've done. And, and, uh, but yet, you have desired to um, make us your temple, Lord, and uh, be, be a, a church that's in relationship and fellowship with you and And we're just very thankful for that, Lord. And we just love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.